we are in the book of Joshua, and we're in Joshua chapter 8, finally. Uh, we're moving along in our study in the book of Joshua, and this series is called Conquering Canaan. And as you know, um, as we've gone through this study, we've looked at the historical record of the Israelites when they went from the wilderness experience um, under the hand of Moses, and after Moses passes off the scene, um, God uh, wants them to continue in that journey now into the land that he had promised them, which was the land of Canaan. And as you can see, there are many applications, I think, to believers of every generation uh, in regard to the book of Joshua that, that teach us that God wants us to enter into that place Um, Canaan represents a place of promise, a place where God was going to bless them, and a place where God would deal with a nation and individuals in that nation uh, with, you know, a leader who was at the forefront. And of course, Joshua, the name of the book of Joshua has his name on it, obviously. He is the leader at that time. And as we've seen in our study, a picture of Christ. He... um, His name literally, Yeshua, is the same name that Jesus would have had in his Hebrew name, Yeshua. Uh, We, of course, in English would say Jesus, but uh, the the Hebrew version would have been Joshua. And uh, I, again, he points to a greater leader, uh, one who wants us to, um, who intercedes for us and goes before us and has conquered spiritually uh, those elements that war against our soul. Now, one, one of the things we see in the book of Joshua is the, the various enemies that the nation of Israel faced in the land. And um, there are, there's a number of different enemies, but the, the three basic enemies that war against our soul today is the world, the flesh, and the devil. Those three areas that war against the believer. And in the book of Joshua, we see... The types of those seen in Jericho. Jericho represented the world system of the day, the Canaanite system and the land that was there. And God defeats the world in, in a mighty, really a tearing down of, of a wall, a wall that would fall down, and a picture of how we overcome the world, which was by faith. That's all Israel had to do is trust Um, trust the Lord and follow his instructions and that's in other words faith Um, then you come to what we're looking at today AI and um, last time two weeks ago we were in this passage of chapter 7 and there's a great defeat at the little city of AI and we found out that there was sin in the camp of Israel and God had to deal with that sin very harshly Um, had to deal with it before they could be victorious in their conquest of Ai. And Ai was different than Jericho. And Ai, though being a smaller city than Jericho, was more deadly for the Israelites. And Ai pictures for us the battle of the flesh, the battle of the old nature that each and every one of us has. And even if you're a believer in Christ, you're given a new nature, but there's the old nature still within. And whatever you feed will come to this, will, will strengthen. And in the scriptures, we defeat the old, or we feed, defeat the flesh in a certain way. We're going to look at that today in our study in chapter 8. Um, and then coming up in a study is the Gibeonites. And the Gibeonites come and they are deceptive. And they trick 
Joshua and the leaders in Israel into something that um, uh, ends up with a compromise that they regret for generations. And the Gibeonites picture for us the great deceiver, the one who is the devil, who also wars against our soul and wars against uh, our people. And so that's just a, a quick introduction to things. We're going to pick up reading in Joshua chapter 8 and verse 1, reading down to verse 13. Joshua chapter 8, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you, and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its cattle you shall not take as booty for yourselves. Lay an ambush for the city behind it. So Joshua rose and all the people of war to go up against Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them away by night. And he commanded them saying, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city, behind the city, Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. Then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city, and it will uh, come about when they come out against us, as at the first, that we shall flee before them. For they will come out after us till we have drawn them away from the city. For they will say, They are fleeing before us as at the first. Therefore, we will flee before them. Then you shall rise from the ambush and seize the city, for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. And it will be, when you have taken the city, that you shall set the city on fire. According to the commandment of the Lord, you shall do. See, I have commanded you. Joshua therefore sent them out, and they went to lie in ambush, and stayed between Bethel and Ai, on the west side of Ai. But Joshua lodged that night among the people. And then Joshua rose up early in the morning and mustered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people of Ai. And all the people of war who were with him went up and drew near, and they came before the city and camped on the north side of Ai. Now a valley lay between them and Ai. And so he took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. And when they had set the people, all the army was on the north of the city, and its rear guard on the west of the city. Joshua went that night into the midst of the valley. Lord, we are grateful for your word, and as we open it again, we are mindful that your word, Lord, is a book above all other books. This Bible, Lord, a preeminent book, because it carries with it the very instruction of God. It carries with it, Lord, the very knowledge of who you are, what you're like, And Lord, how you want to deal with us. And Lord, we thank you for your mercy, your grace, your justice. All these attributes, Lord, that are really perfect. We thank you, O God, for allowing us even today to handle this book and to be able to open it and share it with one another. We pray we be obedient in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. We come to this uh, section of scripture and we're introduced again geographically. Uh, It's a historical layout of the land of that time and also of the amount of people that were there, those kind of things. And there's a lot of details. 
um, but very key details. So you remember they come from Jericho, which was on one hill, and they had a great victory there at Jericho. And then the next city in the success of conquest would be the city of Ai, a smaller city. Um, it would have been, some said, less than 10,000 people that were in that city at that time, where Jericho was much larger than that, um, maybe upwards of 50,000 or more people in Jericho. And you knew from last time we met that there was a great defeat that had taken place. And if you got anything out of that chapter 7 was that um, not only was there an individual whose sin caused great harm to his people, but also that there was a leader named Joshua who had not sought the Lord initially when he went up against Ai. Now you come to chapter 8 and it's like the great reset. And I'm thankful for God's resets, you know. If he didn't have a reset in my life, I wouldn't be here today. I mean that. Because no matter what you do in this Christian walk, you will make mistakes. There were things that you can do. And honestly, God's grace and his mercy is new every morning, right? As new as it was yesterday morning, as new as it was when you went to bed last night. And I'm thankful for that. And he allows us to get, if we'll turn to him in repentance, allows us to get back on track. And between chapter 6 and chapter 8, there is a, a picture of repentance that takes place. And the nation now is prepared to go, and a leader is prepared to go into battle and be victorious. And we come right to the very first opening uh, paragraph, and we learn that God is going to give a plan and some instruction. Now, AI is not, it's mentioned first in Scripture, back in Genesis chapter 12. And there, in Genesis chapter 12, some 400 plus years before this event in Joshua, we come to the life of Abraham. And just a few months ago, we were talking about the man Abraham. We read this of Abraham. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. Bethel literally means house of God, Bethel right house of god and he pitched his tent with bethel on the west and ai to the east ai means a heap of ruins that's the name now imagine naming your city a heap of ruins but that's what its name was even way back in the time of abraham and there he built an altar to the lord and called on the name of the lord so way back hundreds of years before Joshua ever would go down into a valley between those two cities, God had brought Abraham, a man of faith, to the very same place. And Abraham built an altar there and he called on the name of the Lord. He was a testimony to the inhabitants of the land way back then. And that should uh, help us to understand that the people of Ai and the people of Jericho were, with, were not without a witness in their generations. Abraham had witnessed to them. There had been years of the knowledge of God, on, you know, at least from that perspective. Um, when the nation of Israel came out of Egypt some 40 years prior to the events in Joshua, uh, God had them aware of what had taken place. And then, of course, the crossing of the Jordan and then the defeat of Ai or of, uh, at Jericho. All of that was a testimony of God in judgment and a call to repent and turn to God for mercy for the people of Ai. And prior to that, the people of Jericho. 
And so sometimes I've said this, that Joshua and the books of the Old Testament sometimes are criticized because it seems like God is so heavy-handed that he's going in, he's going to destroy a whole city, young and old, everybody in that city, and he was going to allow that to take place. And somebody says, he must be this angry God. Well, God is a God of justice, and he would not be a holy God if he could not be also just. Understand that sin requires punishment. When you violate the holy God and his law, then he has to judge that. However, he's a God of mercy. And for generation after generation after generation, he extended his hand to them, to, for them to repent, but they did not. And I would just say that that's not God's fault, that they did not repent. That was on them. And eventually the time came, as it's recorded in the book of Joshua, where judgment would have come. And we're thankful for the stories of grace like in Rahab and her family in Jericho. She was delivered. Why? Because she believed God. And yet the rest of the city perished because they did not believe God. So I say that right in the beginning because that's important. I think the book of Joshua shows a God of grace and mercy. If you dig in and look at the history of it. And it shows a God who is long-suffering. And he's not quick to anger, but rather very patient. Hundreds of years would take place before a judgment and the cup of the Amorites, as it's recorded in Genesis, is full. We read of that. Well, a couple of things here we'll go down through, or a few things. This ambush at Ai, and the first thing in verses 1 and 2 is that there was a promise of victory. Right at the very front, there is a promise of victory. Verse 1 says, Now the Lord said to Joshua, Now this is different than chapter 7. Because remember, chapter 7, there's no indication that God or that um, Joshua sought the Lord or asked the Lord's opinion on something. And the consequences of that was a disaster for Israel. Later on, finally, Joshua would go before the Lord and cry out to God for help and, for, and God revealed to him why they had a, uh, had a problem. But here in chapter 8, he does it right. We see Joshua and we see the Lord speaking to Joshua. And look what the Lord says. He doesn't say, Joshua, you loser, you did it again. Sometimes we do that. I would say, oh man, I can't believe that that person's back in that same sin. Oh, you know, no, God doesn't do that. God takes this leader who has repented and his people who have repented and he restores them and he gives them a grace message. Listen, do not be afraid nor be dismayed. Listen, we will be driven often by our fear and our discouragement. Those two things will lead us to defeat every single time. But God, right? God is bigger than our fears. God is bigger than our discouragements. No doubt, uh, when Joshua was there, and now he's facing Ai again, he was a man. He would understand that there is a possibility that we're going to lose again. And people are going to die. And oh, how discouraging to have had funerals just the previous days because of the deaths of those men that had died when they fled the people of Ai. This time God says, take all the people of war with you. Last time they said, don't need all the people of war. Just a few thousand will do. No, this time, let them all be involved. And I can just say it this way, my friends, is that God wants every single one of us engaged in the spiritual battle that we have as Christians. Um, it takes everybody. 
And if you think you can just be a sort of uh, someone who just watches and not participate, well, you know, I would first of all question and say, am I really part of this group? You know, am I part of a church, uh, the body of Christ? Because we should be participating in the faith. And just as the nation of Israel, they were called to participate, all these men of war. God says this, I see, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. God tells Joshua right up front, he says, the victory is already won. And the victory is already won. I like that because in, when you think about it, um, sometimes we have these, these fears and sometimes we think we're, we go into something defeated and we're reminded that God has already given us the victory. In Romans chapter 6, verse 14, it says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Aren't you glad that sin doesn't have to have dominion over you today? If you're a believer, it's been already paid for at the cross of Christ. He was judged for you. And he's also, by his Spirit, the Holy Spirit, given us the victory over sin. If we walk in the in the spirit we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh and that's not a secret but an open secret i guess to the christian life if you want to walk and serve the lord walk according to the holy spirit as he moves and lives within you first corinthians fifteen fifty seven. but thanks be to god who gives us the victory through our lord jesus christ he has secured the victory in that great context of 1 Corinthians 15 is all about the resurrection. That even in death, Jesus had the victory. He rose from the dead. And that's the wonderful message of the gospel of Christ. That Jesus came and he died for your sins. He took your penalty. He was placed on a cross. And there, willingly, he was mocked and cruelly treated and suffered and bled and died dying on a cross for you and for me. And his, he took the punishment and penalty of sin for the whole world. He offers his life, not only a ransom for many, but a gift of eternal life, right? And that's, if you'll believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. That's what the Bible says. Saved from your sin, saved from the penalty of your sin, saved from the power of sin, saved, for, saved from the presence of sin. Sin should not have dominion over us. And you say, is it because of me? No. It wasn't because of Joshua they were going to have victory. It was because of the Lord of Joshua that was going to, there was going to be victory. A lot more could be said about that. But he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And even through death, Jesus showed he had victory over our greatest of enemies. And that's the wonderful gospel that delivers us from not only separation from God in spiritual death, but he gives us the eternal life with him. And I'm so thankful for that. John chapter 8, verse 2. He says, And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourselves. Lay an ambush for the city behind it. Now this is distinctly different than the, the message that he gave to Joshua about Jericho. Jericho's on one hill, and Jericho's been destroyed, and now Ai's over here. And you remember chapter 7, there was the sin of Achan. And what happened to Achan? Achan went and partook of 
uh, some of the spoils, all right, or as the old word, the word booty, you know, booty as in referring to that which you could take, which is the old ancient right of conquering armies is to be able to take the spoils of war. And remember, Achan, in contrary fashion to the word of God and the instruction of God, went and he took some gold and silver and a Babylonian garment and he hid it in the middle of his tent in the, remember, in the dirt and God exposed it. And I find that so tragic. Not only because he disobeyed God and people died because of it and there was a defeat and there was the death of Achan and some of his family and all the things that went on. I mean, there's, there's so much there. But the greater thing is this, that if Achan would have just waited, if he would have waited just a little bit, waited one more battle, God would have said, you can have the spoil of war. Because here it says, only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourselves, lay an ambush for the city behind it. My friends, sometimes we want to do things in our timing and not God's. And I think that's a beautiful picture of that. As believers, sometimes we say, well, I'm going to do it my way. I know God doesn't want me to do it this way, but I think it's time. I'm going to do it. When if we would just wait a little bit longer, God might have brought exactly what we needed at that time. I think of that in relationships. I think of that in, the, in, the, in our career choices sometimes. And I even think of it in the context of life itself. Listen, if you even live to be, you know, over 100 years old, it's but a very small time to wait as in contrasted against the weight of glory in eternity. It doesn't feel like that sometimes when you're going through things. But it is something that sometimes God just wants us to wait and do it his way. Psalm 130 verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I do hope. One of the great things while we wait (laughs) is that we read the word of God. And as you read the word of God, he, he strengthens you to wait further. Waiting is a very important part of the Christian life. And for the children of Israel, waiting was the difference between sin and God's blessing. That close. And by the way, some have asked, well, why did he say that about Jericho? And why did he make an exception for Ai? And I just leave that with God. I don't know. I've heard commentaries or read commentaries that some said that um, very possibly there was disease rampant in Jericho. And maybe even like the garments that were... Uh, there would have contained within them you know pathogens that would have had disease and god knew that maybe they didn't know that but god says i just is what this is what i want you to do and they just had to obey maybe it was just as simple as a test of faith can i give you something that you might want to covet after and see if you pass the test or not some most passed the test some didn't and when you come to ai he opens up and does that. And that's God who's able to do that, by the way. Psalm 37, verse 34. Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. That's a verse that, you know, we could think about today when it seems like so much of sin is prospering across our world today. And we, we find more and more um, through 
means of really persecution whether it be a soft form of persecution or or greater than that in and some of us experience that sometimes that if you wait on the lord someday we will see fully the victory that takes place and it may not be in this world by the way it may be as we stand in glory and say wow it was worth waiting for we see a pursuit of victory a pursuit of victory and i'll read down through these verses i know there's a lot in this chapter uh, but i want to just follow along as it goes here and we read much of this it says so joshua arose and all the people of war to go up against ai and joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them away by night and he commanded them saying behold you shall lie in ambush against the city Behind the city, do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. Now, I just want to, and the verses to follow on this, talk about an ambush, okay? He was going to have an ambush set up. Now, there are various ways of fighting against an army, uh, maybe or an enemy. And this is a military conquest that's recorded in the book of Joshua. Um, And so... Really, even in that day and age, um, there wasn't, it wasn't very honorable to go and lie in wait for your enemy and ambush them. Rather, most militaries would gather on the fields of battle and they would face off and, and they would face off in the daytime and they would go in and they would fight and the best army would win. That would be the way our history portrays things throughout you know, human history in the battle or in in warfare and here god says i want you to do something different i want you to have an ambush instead of marching around a city and blowing a trumpet and all the things that went on at jericho i want you to go lie in wait in the darkness very different form by the way, the same, the, the same methodology to defeat the world and that wars against us, which Jericho pictures, doesn't always work for the flesh that's within us. And the flesh is what no one else sees. It's the part of us, well, we might see the actions of our flesh, but I mean the real you is the real you. It's inside you. You know who you are. God knows who you are. He actually even knows better than you who you are on the inside, what you're really like. And the flesh battles against us. And sometimes we have to just kind of ambush the flesh. That's kind of the way I was thinking about this. There are ways that we need to, uh, that, that are ways that you prepare for. And maybe no one else sees those things. But yet they're just as effective or more so. For instance, I think when we go to battle with our own flesh sometimes that is crying out, to do things that are disobedience in accordance with God's instruction. He gives us um, a desire to know more about him. Matter of fact, part of the practical aspect of defeating the old nature and the flesh is to get into this book, for example. That's number one, the word of God. The word of God is a means by where we can purify ourselves as we learn what God wants to do and what he doesn't want us to do. For instance, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Peter says, Therefore, 
laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Those are all fruits of the flesh. And he says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. He wants us to grow. He wants us to grow in his grace and his knowledge. And my friends, you cannot grow in him apart from reading the word of God or hearing it. And thank you that you're here today. And probably some will come in a few minutes thinking it's church time. But I, because we have the, but listen, dig into his Bible. Do that. Don't take a break from it. Because the longer this sits on a shelf collecting dust, the more other things will start to show up in your life that aren't good. Luke chapter 18. This is the second thing that helps us in overcoming the flesh. Jesus, it says, Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. We need to pray. Pray. I was encouraged on Wednesday night, um, and I realize there's other times that we gather here for prayer, but I was encouraged to see so many coming out on Wednesday night to gather and pray. And, and I'm saying, my friends, not everybody can come that night. I'm not tracing you down, those things. I want people who want to come and gather and pray. But prayer, both publicly, corporately, and privately, is a weapon in our arsenal to defeat not only the, the world system, but the flesh. It's awful hard to be praying and asking God to help you and strengthen you and be sinning at the same time. Pray. Sometimes it just we just have to stop and pray instead of yielding to temptations that war against us. You know, there's another aspect, and this goes with what Joshua was commanded to do. He was to take all the men of war. And all the people were to be involved. And Joshua was to be involved. And he took these 35,000 men of valor. Now that was overkill because I already said that, you know, most say that AI was like 10,000 people. So you take 35,000 mighty men of valor, these trained warriors, and you go to defeat a city of 10,000 people. I mean, it's a no-brainer, right? It should be well balanced. I mean, out of balance. But God wanted them involved in that. And my friends, the Bible says this. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Part of the ministry of believers is to stir up love and good works in each other. How do you do that? Look what the next verse says. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I think we are living in times where it is very dark out there in a lot of things. And it, that darkness creeps into our homes, into our families, into our communities, all of that. And my friends, we ought to be encouraging one another as we see that day approaching, the day of Christ. And I believe that I'll be taken out of here before that day of his return. But nevertheless, there will be a day of the Lord the Bible speaks of. And these things should not surprise us as we see our world becoming like it is. Because the Bible foretold that. But I can encourage my brothers and sisters in the Lord during these days we live in. Don't, assemble, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. There is strength in numbers. 
And again, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. See, we, we're all individuals, but we make up a greater body, the body of Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're part of that body. The Bible says that salvation, you've been sealed unto the day of redemption. You've been baptized, a spiritual baptism, an identification in Christ. Water baptism is a picture of what should have already gone on in the heart, in the mind, right? That we believed and we are part of the body of Christ. Now, therefore, we're going into the water to declare that we are now identifying with Christ. And water baptism pictures that. But being baptized into the body of Christ, important. All these different areas. And then there's the fellowship of the saints, which goes with that attendance part. But in Acts chapter 2, verse 42... Mind you, there were 3,000 that came to know the Lord on Acts chapter 2. We find that that day, the day of Pentecost, when it had fully come, means it was fulfilled. That on that day, when people believed, this is the testimony of what continued. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's the Bible and the word of God and and the instruction. And fellowship, that's the communion together, right, in that way. And then the breaking of bread, that's the remembrance. And also, it, you know, it is the idea that we are singularly, literally, uh, including one another and in, in our daily like eating meals together, those kind of things. In that time, it was very important. It's very important in our day. And in prayers. And someone said that's like a, a milking stool, a three-legged milking stool. You have the apostles' doctrine, or four legs, four legs, sorry. Apostles' doctrine, the fellowship can be one as well. And the breaking of bread, those often are put together. And then in prayer. And having those parts of the stool that you're sitting on, right? Which is the faith, hopefully. Um, if you take and remove any one of those, you become very unstable. And I think it's important that we follow the Lord. We do these things. If that worked for the early church, it works for the modern church as well. And... I encourage you in those areas. Well, they also had the power of God. And we read of that later on as Joshua gets his men in place and he puts an element of about 5,000 down there, whatever it was, uh, in, in lying in wait. And then what he was going to do, in accordance to God's instruction, is when the men of Ai came out and they came out in their pride thinking they could do this again, defeat the Israelites, the Israelites were going to actually run away, the, the majority of them. And again, would be drawn into this ambush. And that's exactly what would take place. And we read of that in John chapter 8, verse 18. Then the Lord said to Joshua, now Joshua's in the valley between the two, and, or on the hill there between the battle that's going on. And he was commanded to take his spear and stretch out his spear. Now I want you to think about that, the picture of Joshua with his arms outstretched, with his spear in his hand, and as he did so, he would be directing the battle. A picture of a greater battle that would be fought someday by Yeshua, Joshua, at the cross, whose hand was not voluntarily outstretched, but rather was outstretched by others and nailed to a cross, but he would not come down off that cross until the battle was won. And I'm glad he didn't. 
And I'm glad that Joshua would stretch his arms out during this battle and he would not stop until the battle was won. By the way, that takes great effort. Hold your hands up like this. for I'm not, You don't have to, but I'm saying, do that for the rest of the service. Mm, be hard. I used to do that with my students at MBBI. And uh, in basic training, I had a drill sergeant who loved to do this to us. You know, he would make us stand in formation with our arms out. And then he would talk to us and go on and on and on. And you'd be, oh, after about five minutes, six minutes, seven minutes, you're like, oh, boy, this hurts, especially if you've been doing push-ups all day. But by the end of basic training, we could do that all day. You know, well, I say all day, 20 minutes at least or more, and, and do that. But it, I could still do that a long time. Um, I won't because it looks silly. But anyways, but I will say this, that no matter what, Joshua was prepared for that moment. And there he is standing there like that. When Jesus hung on the cross, he was prepared for that very moment. God had prepared him. He had prepared himself. The Spirit of God was preparing him to be the victor over sin our great leader. In verse 19 it says, So those in ambush arose quickly out of their place, and they ran as soon as they had stretched out, he had stretched out his hand, and they entered the city and took it, and hurried to set the city on fire. And when the men of Ai looked behind them, they saw, and behold, the smoke of the city ascended to heaven, so they had no power to flee this way or that way. And the people who had fled to the wilderness turned back on the pursuers. Now when Joshua and all the Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. And then the others came out of the city against them, and so they were caught in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side, and they struck them down so that they let none of them remain or escape. But the king of Ai they took alive and brought him to Joshua. And I would just say this, that the fate of the king of Ai would be one that he would be placed upon a tree and there he would die a death of a rebellious king. And I find that tremendously, almost sadly ironic that the greatest king, the king of kings, would one day go and he too would be placed upon a tree, a cross. And there he would, as the one who was perfect, not rebellious, but perfect in every way, not for his sin, but for mine. He would die the same death. Same death as the guy in the king of Ai. Thankful to the Lord Jesus who did that. And Ai and the king of Ai represents sin and represents a sinner. And my friends, you will either as a sinner face the Lord in judgment or you will face him as your savior. Those two options. That's it. Be thankful He's like that. He's a savior with outstretched arms. He's a savior that's welcoming you in. But if you will not receive him and turn from your ways and acknowledge him, you will go the way of death and judgment. He goes on to talk about that, of what took place. The men fled, the men of Ai, and they... Joshua stood there with his hand. It says in verse 26, For Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. My friends, he pictures for us the one who is interceding on behalf of his nation. 
and interceding on the behalf of his people. And he did not draw his hand back until the victory was done. I am thankful we have such a a leader, such a victor, such a priest. That's what the Bible says of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14, Seeing then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That was pictured in a fleshly way, in a, in a physical way, at the battle of Ai. You see that same battle. We are in a greater battle, a spiritual battle. And it doesn't require like a physical raising of a spear, or those things. That's not what we're called to do as, as believers. We're called separately as a church to go out and to proclaim the gospel to our enemies, to all. And trust that they come in by faith and are brought in not as enemies, but as brethren. I'm reminded of that. And point three is that there was a preservation of victory. Preservation of victory. There were two ways that there was a victory that was preserved. And number one, it was preserved by death. See, that's, it's hard. Read, you know, I won't take time to read the end of the chapter, but listen. The king of Ai and the people of Ai were killed. Again, sounds harsh. And I'm not advocating going out and killing people. That's not what I'm saying. This was Israel. It was in the day when God told them to do that. And, but they, they were secured in death. Our victory over sin is secured by death. The death of Christ. But it's also secured by his future performance. Right? Not only his death, but his um, God's practice or i could say it in this way his devotion joshua continued in the battle until the victory was won and our victory is preserved by devotion not my devotion it's a good thing i try to be devoted to the lord but there's days that i am less devoted than i should be and if my salvation depended on solely on my devotion i would have been disappointed the day I got saved. Because there was still some devotion. And there's still today more devotion to him. But it's his life. Just shall live by his faith. And I'll tell you, it's, it's him. He's the one who is the victor. That's Jesus. He's like that. Joshua chapter 8 verse 30. And Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal. Verse 31, And as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool, and they offered on it a burnt offering to the Lord and sacrifice peace and offerings. And there, in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Then... All Israel, with their elders and officers and judges, stood on either side of the ark before the priests, the Levites, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord. 
the stranger, as well as he who was born among them. Half of them were in front of Mount Mount, uh, Gerizim, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal. As Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that was written in the book of the law. And there was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, with the women, the little ones, and the strangers who were living among them. This is the testimony of how Joshua chapter 8 ends. It ends with Joshua uh, having the people there erect an altar. And an altar in the scripture was always, and it's a biblical word, was a place where something had to die. In this case, a a burnt offering. Well, that was a sacrifice of an animal. Uh, Most likely a lamb Uh, would, would have been brought there or some cattle or something. They would have been brought there and it would have been slain in such a way its blood had to flow, and the life of that animal would be taken away from it as the blood flowed out, and then the animal would be placed upon the altar and burned. Sounds harsh, again. It would have a lot of people upset in our day if that was going on. But I would say it this way, that it was a picture of exactly the cost and price of sin and the difference between war with God and peace with God. God would, through the devotion of the people, but through his power and his forgiveness, would display a death, right? And that death would secure the victory, and the devotion of the people would continue that relationship with him. And we see that. And God is a God who does mighty things that way. He's a God who can make enemies come together again. As it says there, there were strangers in the assembly of Israel. There were women and little ones. There were the people who were in the family of Israel. Rahab would have been there. She's probably numbered as a stranger at that point. She was a stranger who had found the grace of God, the same way the Israelites had found the grace of God, by faith. Later on, she would be entered into a marriage, and through that marriage would come the line of the Messiah, Jesus would come out of the family of Rahab, believe it or not. Read that in Matthew chapter 1. And others that were strangers. And you who were strangers, he has now brought near and reconciled. Isn't that great? And we who were strangers to Christ now have been reconciled. God's good at that. We're going to sing a song here momentarily. And as Julie comes up and gets ready for that, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. And I want to end with this just a little illustration. And I've said this, told this story before. But Savior, like a shepherd, lead us is a hymn, and a beautiful hymn. And there's a story that goes with this hymn. And I thought it was very fitting today talking about reconciliation. Because back in the 1800s, there was a man named Ira Sankey. Ira Sankey would have been a well-known household name among the Christians of that day. He... He actually had a hymn book with his name on it, and he was the companion to D.L. Moody, the great evangelist of the 19th century. And uh, he was the song leader of Moody, uh, had a rich baritone voice uh, from what they describe uh, with with Sankey's voice. And he was, um, one day in 1872, he was on a steamboat on the Delaware River, and he was traveling, it was Christmas Eve, he was traveling upstream, and 
He was there just, you know, as a passenger. And someone in the, on the crowded boat recognized Ira Sankey and said, that's Mr. Sankey. And they began to go up to him and request that he would sing a song. And so Sankey decided he would do that. And so he got up there in the open area of the riverboat and he began with that rich baritone voice to sing, Savior, like a shepherd lead us. What was interesting, as he got ready and he got done that song, there was a man who came up to him and the man looked at him, made sure he got right up to Sankey because he wanted to talk to him. And he said, Mr. Sankey, did you serve in the Civil War? And Sankey said, I did. I served from 1860 onward through the Civil War. And the man said, I did too. He said, you served with the Union Army, didn't you? And he says, yes, I did. And the, the man says, I served in the Confederate Army. And he says, I have a, a question of you, sir. He says, on a bright moonlit night in July of 1862, were you on picket duty at such and such a place? And Sankey thought a minute, and he said, I was. And the Confederate, former Confederate soldier said to him, he says, I have to tell you something. See, on that night, I was, I was to go and to um, harass the Union lines, and it was a group of us, and we were going up, and there the moon was shining, and I saw your figure standing at picket. And I raised my musket to shoot and kill you. And as I raised my musket, you began to sing the song you just now sang. He said, I, I at first, as I, I, I looked at it, I thought, you'll never get away from me, I'll get you. But then he said, I'll let the man complete his song before I shoot him. As Sankey began to sing, and as he eventually got to the second verse of that song, and he says, We are thine, do thou befriend us, be the guardian of our way. The Confederate soldier said, My arm of its own accord just went limp. And I listened to the rest of your song, and I could not shoot you that night. And I left. The man said this. He says, just now when you were about to sing and stood quietly as if I, uh, praying, I recognized you. He says, I've wandered far and wide since that occasion. I have never found that shepherd. Please help me now find a cure for my sick soul. As the story goes, Sankey threw his arms around this former enemy and welcomed him into the family, led him to Christ that night and welcomed him into the family as a brother. My friends, that's the grace of God. That's what God can do. As we stand and are dismissed this morning...